0: can't take any of it with us, and yet our stuff, our money and possessions, seem to drive a lot of uh, what we do, what our mood is like, and so that's going to be a pretty important topic for us as we close out this series on contentment. But before we do that... I just want to show you a picture, and this is a picture from, one of the pictures from our men's retreat that we were on uh, this past weekend down in Washington, North Carolina with several other churches in Virginia, North Carolina, and it was a blast, it was a great time, the guys that there will be able to tell you that. A couple things I want to mention though, do you see that, uh, do you see that like WWE belt uh, thing right there? All right, so here's the thing, fellas. I should I should be wearing it right now, but I'm not. And so the thing about this is, is that belt is up for grabs. And it's up for grabs next year. And so, like, this involves throwing axes at each other. I mean, at boards, we threw axes at targets, not each other. And some other things to, one of the churches walked away with that belt. And that, that pastor is wearing it right now as he's preaching this morning. So I'm just saying, next year, I want that to be, I want that to be here. And so make sure it's all, of, okay, well... Also, the whole thing about, like, growing closer to God and each other, like, that happened too, and that was, the, that is the more important thing, and so I just want to invite you to be thinking about that next year. Uh, ladies, if you want your man to be better, like, make sure he's there, you know, for this thing. It was a great experience, and I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but also it's, it's true uh, for, for that as well, and so I, I just want to let you know we had a great time with that. It was, it was fantastic. All right, let's jump into the message. It's, it's rare for me nowadays, and maybe you can relate to this, that I don't, before I buy something, that I don't read a ton of reviews. Does anybody else like that? Well, you'll, you'll check out reviews. Okay, and when I say that, I, w- I want to be clear, because I'm not just talking about reading the first three reviews they highlight for you to get you to buy the product, but I'm like three, four, five pages deep on the reviews, you know, and I'm reading all the one-star reviews, everything in between, because I want to have a comprehensive knowledge of the thing that I'm about to spend my money on. I want to make sure it's not a waste. I want to make sure I know what I'm getting into. And it's fun, sometimes funny to read through the reviews because you can tell that some people didn't really pay attention before they, they bought the thing that they're making or that they just have a chip on their shoulder and they're angry at the company and they just want to get back at them, that kind of thing. And so it's entertaining as well. Well, you may or may not know this, but did you know that you can review Velocity Christian Church online in very public ways like Facebook or Google? I mentioned this because I'm going to share a couple reviews with you uh, this morning. First service really enjoyed this, so I, I think I think we will too. And and uh, so maybe like did any of you before you came out came and check Velocity out? Did you did you Google us and read any reviews on Facebook or Google? Okay, a few of, awesome. Like a few of us have done that. I would. That's exactly. That's one of the first things that I would do. I just want to see. Okay, so uh, th- this will be fun. So here's here's one of my favorite reviews. Amazing church community with support and encouragement that quickly becomes family with God's word at the helm. I think it's fantastic. It's one of the things that I hope and pray for for this church. I want it to be true for us. I want it to be true for how we treat other people and welcome people not only as they come in, into the door, but also like as we are neighborly and we love our neighbors and our enemies. Like that's how we treat people. I want that to be true for our individual lives as well as us as a church. Okay, so I love that review. It's fantastic. That's a five star review. And, and when somebody's looking online, like, I, I want them to see that experience because that could be a place where it says, hey, maybe this is a place that I could go, may, you know, that maybe otherwise I haven't felt comfortable to, to, to find and seek out Jesus. And, and that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's a great tool. All right. That's the five-star one, but that's not the real one I want to talk about. I, and before, don't, don't put it up just yet, Lisa, because I've got to set this up just, just a little bit not up there okay all right all right y'all are just anticipating that's great this is my favorite one star review all right that we have and I just want to I just want to say this is hilarious like the first time I read it I didn't think so I I find this incredibly funny and I'll tell you I'll tell you why I think I think we might need to make a t-shirt out of this one uh, or something like that like I it's it's my it's my favorite it makes me laugh and, and I just want to let you, like, there is absolutely no ill will from this or anything like that, uh, just, just to be clear. Okay, are, are you guys ready? All right, here it is. I hate this church. Saint, you can laugh. First service laughed more. I don't know what that says, but that's cool. I hate this church. St. Mary's is much better. I don't like it because it's right next to a gas station and it looks ghetto. Don't go here, go to St. Mary's sad face. yeah because you needed that to understand all right now here, here's the thing if you're like if you're connected with St. Mary's and listen to the podcast, I just want to we love you, you're beautiful, you have a great building, all that kind of stuff I think I don't know I've never been there um, and and so fantastic now, now here's the thing, like my initial reaction I, I would love to say that it was laughing and, and making the t-shirt and all that, kind of, that kind of stuff, but it wasn't at first I was like. Are you for real like is this, is this a thing in Richmond where there's this like guerrilla troll church review warfare going on like, <laughs> is this a thing because I didn't really know that before I came here I moved back home and, uh, and it, it wasn't that so I looked at uh, the, the person who left the review you can you know look and see who, who left the review and apparently it's a, it was a kid who was probably with his folks at the gas station they were getting gas they've never been here before or anything like that and um, I, I found, found the kid found his dad too yeah, and uh, I found out where his dad works and how to contact him. I didn't, though. I, I didn't. I stopped, I stopped short there because I was able to finally kind of release, release that. But it's just a kid being a kid, and that's perfectly cool. Um, I'm fine with that. I think it's funny. Uh, I did think about, like, just shooting his dad a message that, hey, do you know what your kid's up to online? Uh, do any of us? And, and uh, th- yeah, that one almost is not funny. But, but here, here's the thing. It's interesting to me uh, before I go there I just want to let you know you can leave a review too on Google or Facebook and 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 the five stars thing is it's five out of 5 is the best not one star for first place I just want so when you do that this week and you share your experience at velocity no we want you to be honest but we also want you to love the church and we know that that can be a tool for people to pick a church to to know, like, hey, this is why I come here. And maybe you can uh, discover Jesus, a church family, a uh, place to, to live out your faith as well. So I'd love for you to take time to do that. But he, here's the, here's the kind of point that I want to make from this tongue-in-cheek example. What What is it about our discontent that causes us to want to share it so much with other people? Like, why, why do we go out of our way to take our pain or our shame and somehow like turn it on its head and point it at somebody else, you know, to, to make them feel that as well. Like, what what is it about us that wants us to make other people commiserate with us in our discontentment? I totally understand and I'm with you. Like, I don't want somebody to get scammed on a product or if it's faulty or that kind of thing and, and you're just sharing that that's the case. That, that totally makes sense. That's valuable. We should do that. We should share those kinds of things with other people. But let me, let me, let me ask you about how you typically, for example, critique a movie or a restaurant. I, I, want you to think, I want you to think about that. Do you find yourself, for example, able to enjoy something for what it is on its own terms? Or, you dec- or do you criticize it for what you wish it was? It's kind of like going to a seafood restaurant and being really upset that they don't have a good burger. You know? I mean, people do that. Or maybe it's chicken fingers. Like, I never understand why my sister always ordered chicken fingers, like, at a nice seafood restaurant. It's the difference between critiquing or giving constructive criticism and just being critical. One comes from a place of responding to a thing on its own merit. The other comes from an unhealthy desire for that thing to change the discontent that we bring along with us. In other words, the way that we experience something has a lot to do with the mood that we bring to it. And if for some reason that thing isn't able to change us, then we get upset at that thing. We may do this subconsciously most of the time, but we often act like what we buy, whether it's our material possessions or maybe it's an experience or something, something like that, we act like that thing can fulfill our need for contentment. And, and when I say that, ho- hopefully it's obvious that when I'm talking about this, I, I'm, I'm talking about things outside of our needs. I mean, they are basic needs and necessities that we all have that we need to have fulfilled in, other, in order for us to be content in our life. But the line is not quite as far and doesn't c- include quite as much as we often act like it does. And I think this is, this is a result in the most direct application of the idiom, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Is because we look at what somebody else has, We compare it to ourselves, and we allow that comparison to determine whether or not we value and invest in that thing. The surest path to discontentment in our life is when what we don't have overshadows what we do have. That's the surest path to experiencing discontentment in our lives every single time. When acquisition is what we use as a litmus test for our happiness and satisfaction, contentment is always going to be elusive for us. And so as, as we close out the series, we've kind of taken this very specific internal, uh, develop a godly view of what contentment is and definition for that, and then we've kind of built on that over the last couple of weeks. And so as we end on this, th- this is going to be like the real practical application, like the primary thing for most of us that keeps us from fully being able to experience contentment through God. And so we've defined contentment as being when we are fully satisfied in Jesus. And we know that one of the lies that we face is that we... Are told that in order to be content, we have to be comfortable, but it's just simply not true. And then when it comes uh, to the challenge that we tackle with our identity, these are the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is that whose we are matters so much more to our contentment than who we are trying to make ourselves into ever does. And so we're ending the series with this primary practical application. Because when it comes to our money and possessions, because the thing that we spend most of our time on, outside of sleeping, and maybe for some of us, outside of entertainment, but we're spending our money on that as well. And so, um, here as, uh, the text we're going to be using is First Timothy chapter six. And so, I'd love for you to turn there. But here's the thing I want to say before we dive into this: the practical application of of contentment, the secret secret of it, is is not about having more. But it's not even about having less either. It's about the motivation behind our activity when we deal with our stuff. All right. In First Timothy chapter six, starting in verse six, we're getting uh, an insight at the view of uh, the end of a letter where Paul is writing to his mentee in the ministry as a church leader. His name is Timothy, and he's writing to him. Timothy is about to start his ministry at the church in Ephesus. And so he's giving him advice, he's giving him wisdom on how to lead well. And one of the things that he hits on at the end of his letter is specifically about contentment. And Paul makes a very practical distinctive when it comes to how we identify the fruit of contentment in our lives. So here's what he writes. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You might want to underline that one, that one's going to be important. we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Even if you weren't familiar with that passage as a whole before, now, that first sentence in verse chapter 10, you've probably had exposure to at some point in your life, whether it's pop culture or, or, or something, something, something uh, like that along the way. Here's, here's the thing, and with all the caveats that exist within that first sentence of verse uh, 10, the result of not recognizing the truth there and what Paul is trying to say, the contrast that he's making with godly contentment and the pursuit of wealth is one of the primary reasons why so many people find discontentment a regular experience in their life. In this case, um, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Actually, go, Lisa, go back. Just a second. Thank you. Um, th- this, uh, that first sentence, the NIV does a little bit too much transla- translation work for us. Th- th- this is what Paul does mean when he writes this, but when he writes this, he writes this as a, a hyperbolic statement that is meant to cause us, to kind of, wait, what? Is that true? Like, can he say that? And so the way that he constructs this is actually like this. The love of money is the root of all evil. And here's what's interesting. What's interesting is what our reaction to that statement is, because we're often really quick to say, well, you know, so money's not inherently evil because it's the love of money, and so, well, obviously, it's not the root of all evil, because we know there are other evils that, that come as a result of not just money, like pride, fear, shame, like those kind, those kinds of things, and they, they're born out of things outside of money, but Paul's point here is to kind of step on our toes a little bit, kind of slap, slap us in the face just a little bit and said. You need, to, you need to think about this long and hard because this is one of the main reasons that human beings don't, ex, don't experience contentment is because of how they deal with this. And it's easy when we interpret this even properly, it's easy for us to distance ourselves from the truth of this hyperbole because we think, oh, you know, I'm not like that. I'm not greedy, and so this doesn't apply to me because we're like, don't be greedy, right? I mean, that's, that's great. But here, here's the reality that most of us deal with with what Paul describes here. Our discontentment is often very well-funded in our lives. And and this means, like, whether or not you're spending money from your bank account, it's well-funded, or the headspace that you give to the things that you want and don't have, that if you had the money for it, then you would spend the money on Like... That, that's what I mean by that. Our, our discontentment is often very well-funded in our lives. The category that Paul gives here for our discontentment is very broad. The line is not typically where, where we put it. In verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And the fun thing is, like, that's the verse I think most of us want to be hyperbole. Like, surely he doesn't just mean food and clothing, like can can we be can we be content if we only if we only have those two things like is that possible for me in my life let me let me, let me come at this uh, a little bit of a, from a diff- different angle if you took everything that you spent money on that's given you grief much la- much less the things that have ruined you and brought destruction in your life if you took all those things that have given you grief that you spent money on and you got rid of them what would you have would you have a house I've complained about my house. I don't know about you. I'm not content with my house, the state it's in right now. Got some projects I haven't finished. Renee can tell you about that. What about my car? I don't have air conditioning right now. Can we go back to like a couple weeks ago? <laughs> like I can, I, can, I can be pretty discontent with not having AC in the middle of summer. How about this? Let's come in at from another angle. What if you put someone else in charge of your finances and anything that, you, that harmed you, that you spent money on, and they had the power to get rid of that in your life, what would you have left over? Would you have internet? Do you have a smartphone? Access to Facebook? Do you have a TV? What would be in your pantry? You start to think about how comprehensive of a thing this, this really is, and then you understand, I understand at least, if I'm honest about my life, why Paul makes such a strong statement here for Timothy and for us. 2019 US uh, the 2019 World Happiness Report came out in March, and one of the things uh, that's, that's really interesting about that is, is where the U.S. ranks in the world happiness And and one of the things that since they've been doing this, they found is that over the last few years, the United States has gotten richer, and we've also dropped several places in our happiness level. So since they've been doing this, the U.S. has never been in the top 10, but lately we've dropped five spots to number 19 in the world for happiness, despite the fact that we're getting richer. And one of the things that they found, as a reason for this, the people who've written the report and done the study, done the study for this, is that addiction is one of the big problems that we face, because there's so many things that we have the opportunity to be addicted to, and because we have the ability to spend money on those things, whether it's substance abuse or whether it's gambling or whether it's um, what was the other, digital media was one of the other things that. the the compulsive pursuit of substance and abuse and addictive behaviors is causing severe unhappiness because we can afford it social connections one of the other authors says social connections are weakening in the US as social media usage is raising anxiety especially among adolescents yet can you imagine like not being connected to the internet yeah of course we have to of course we have to spend money on that here's the fact if If our happiness, if your happiness is dictated by what you're able to spend money on, you'll never, ever experience godly contentment in your life. It's not just us at risk here either. It's also how we pass that pain of discontentment to others. Our kids, for example, they're going to suffer when we enable them to feel content based on whether or not they have things or have experiences. Our marriages, they're going to suffer if they're centered on like having a particular lifestyle together, life changes. You don't always get to have things exactly the way that you want them to be all the time. Our relationships, they're going to suffer when they're based on whether or not this other person in our life has the ability to get us to where we want to be in our life, to bring us contentment. When Paul writes 1 Timothy 6, he elevates contentment to not just something that's desires to feel, But it's a necessary discipline to maintain because without us, it's not just happiness that's at stake. It's not just satisfaction. It's not just contentment and and feeling that. Uh, What's at stake is ruin and destruction, being pierced with many griefs, and wandering away from the faith. Those are the things that are at stake. That's what's on the line here. Not just how we feel about how we're experiencing life. Selfishness. Being discontent, it's dangerous for us, and Paul's concerned not just with Timothy, but also the people Timothy will be leading in the church at Ephesus because it has so many important implications about who and what we're pointing to people with our life when it comes to how we handle contentment. A few months ago, which I think is very timely for this message, there was an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers, Have you guys heard of this, that went viral, and originally what started off as kind of a joke with a guy and his friends, he started posting pictures, oh, let me say this, let me say this first, I have sneakers on, although I, I say tennis shoes, is that a regional, like, how many of you say sneakers? Okay, it's tennis shoes, but like, alright, now how many of you play tennis? Okay, that's what, like, I don't know why I call it tennis shoes, because I've never played, I, like, I like to play tennis, but I've never played tennis in these tennis shoes, but that's, that's what I call it, so I, I don't know what's up with that. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I wear tennis shoes in college. I brought I bought a pair of uh, blue suede Nikes, and like since then, I've worn like some shade of blue. Most of my shoes have been some shade of blue, like Nike shoes and stuff. So they're comfortable. I got to stand. I'm I'm not gonna wear like wingtips or something, something like that. All right. So um so I'm all about the sneakers, but here here's what he here's what this this person did. They started looking at pictures of uh, celebrity pastors when they were posted like from their message on a Sunday morning or maybe at a conference and he's he's a, a sneaker nerd and so he started looking up how much the shoes are that they were wearing were, were all right So I just want to try something out on on you guys and just kind of get a reaction all right. How would you guys feel if one Sunday I came up and I was preaching and I was wearing $6,000 shoes? Would you guys be cool with that? I'm just curious, like, no? What's that? Any other salary cut? Yeah, that's what I need. Um, that, so so that, that, I shouldn't have said that. Um, I, I'm, well, I, God is providing well for me. And I'm content, all right. But but here's here's the thing, like that that's kind of that has some interesting implications. And then you think you think about that a little bit further, all right. I I, I like maybe it's not the six thousand dollars shoes, but maybe it's a more comprehensive fix, you know, for me where um, I dress comfortably, but yeah, I could I could dress more nicely with more expensive clothes, and maybe that would help me, you know, in the far west end. Uh, maybe connect with more more people who 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 live in the area, right? So maybe I need to up my outfit game. And of course, Renee and I are are one, right? We're we're a team in our marriage, and so she she should be a part of that too. So maybe what we should do to, is go go the Gucci route, and we could have. I don't, can you? Am I in the way? Like, we, maybe we should have mashing Gucci tennis shoes. Like, I think. Okay, and Renee could wear the Gucci belt. Like, we could rock that and do the. You guys cool with that? Like, is that? No? Uh, yeah, okay. Men, mo, most of us, I think, would say there would be something that seems just a little bit off about that, that maybe there's a disconnect between the message that's being shared and the activity, the actions taking place there that's, that's portrayed. Um, but I want you to think about how quickly we'd be able to rationalize this if we put ourselves in their shoes. By the way, I thought that was clever. And it was intentional. Is it, so, so stick with me, is, is it relative to the size of church and size of salary? Some of these megachurch pastors, I mean, they've got tens of thousands of people attending. Their salary is commensurate with their ability to spend more on clothing. Like, so are we going to come up with an algorithm there where, well, it makes sense in this situation or, or not? What about relatability to congregants? Celebrities need Jesus too, right? Want to be all things to all people, and so wear name brands that they're familiar with and connecting, to, right? Wouldn't that be okay? What if they were a gift? What if those $6,000 Yeezys, maybe that was a gift, and it's not something that they spent money on, like, would it be okay then? Just to be honest, I totally rock Jordans every Sunday. If you want to hook me up, I'll give you my shoe size, and that'd be great there are a lot of things that we say we do differently if we were in the same situation as another person, but I'm not convinced that that's necessarily true. I want you to do a quick mental exercise with me that I know that you've already taken, like I've done this so many times, I know you have too. Make a list in your head, like what if, what would you do if someone gave you a million dollars today? What would you do with that money? So you think about that and Of course, you know, you front load the top ten list with all these altruistic, generous things that you would do. I'm going to buy my mom a house, and I'm going to pay off the debt, you know, for my friends, and all these cool things. So, God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll do well with it. All right, we've got that list. Now contrast that with what you already do in your life now with your money. The reality is, is that that million dollars isn't going to make anything different in your life, if you're discontent with what you have right now. It's only going to make it worse. It's only going to make your problems that much more expensive. Charles Spurgeon uh, spits a little fire here, steps on my toes. He says this, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. There is a solution here, though. There's a countercultural, upside-down, transformative way of living that gets us through the fog of a life that we are surrounded by and we are beckoned to to sell ourselves to. I, I am convinced that we do not know how deep the rabbit hole goes when it comes to how we're naturally expected and assume we should live our lives when it comes to how that plays a part into our discontentment, that... You know, as we, we live in a society that's wealthy, that calls us to live a certain way, to have certain things that we just don't, we don't even get like how deep, deeply rooted it is in our lives to not experience the kind of contentment that God has created us to be able to experience. The natural assumptions that we are raised to buy into. But here, here is the countercultural solution That Paul gives to Timothy and it starts in verse 11. and what's true for him is true for us as well but you man of God or you people of God flee from all this and pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses verse 17 command those who are rich in this present world that's us by the way not to be arrogant and first service to Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We're all making, constantly, we're making investments into our life satisfaction, and where those resources are pointed determines whether they're a flash in the plane Easy for me to say. A flash in the pan or of eternal significance. We know when we're, we know we're content when we're free from the burdens of our wants and we're invested in being generous with the goodness of God. That's how we know that we've arrived. With that freedom, we exchange personal gain for the pursuit of godly gain: righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, good deeds, generosity, a willing to share. If you're driven by these instead of your personal gain through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're that much closer to experiencing the kind of contentment that brings great gains. Contentment frees us to fight the good fight of faith rather than fighting our insecurity or our insatiable desires or fighting the crises that we place ourselves in when we're not satisfied when we have what we need. If I have food and clothing, I will be content with that. Can we can we say that? To be fair, six thousand dollars sneakers really probably don't count when it comes to our need for contentment. So here here are the things I want to ask. I want you to consider and ask yourself in your life: What's the thing that's taking your attention and focus away from what really matters? What's the stuff that you're white knuckling that you're refusing to let go of that needs a reevaluation based on the truth that loving that. that stuff more than God hurts you and it hurts those around you. What are you spending money on for happiness? Are you sacrificing your personal gain or are you sacrificing God's gain that he wants to see take place in your life? The implication of the answers you give are important because what God wants us to believe about himself is this. First, verse 17, as Paul writes this in chapter six, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Are you in a place in your life that you can be content, that you can be happy and satisfied with what God has provided for you in your life? Because he does that richly for our enjoyment. Because then that leads to this. When we believe that, when we trust in that, we're generous with what we've been provided. Content people are generous people. That's how it works. Our actions with our stuff shows our understanding of God's provision for us. And what that leads to is life that is truly life. The kind of life that we were made for, created for, the one that we strive for, even if we, we don't really know what we're supposed to be going after. The more you are generous with your stuff and with your life and with people and with your faith, the more you will see God at work in and through you. And so when you believe this, when you put these things into practice, here's what you're going to find the grass on your side of the fence is going to be a whole lot healthier. And it's going to be a whole lot more enjoyable, and it's going to be a whole lot more abundant. And not only are you going to experience that, you'll also discover that not only you're content, but other people, they're going to, be one, they're going to want to be on your side of the fence. Because they're going to see something different about you and about your life and how you handle your circumstances, how you handle your stuff, and it's going, to, it's going to point things out to them that they didn't even know that they were lacking. And so they're going to want to be on your side of the fence. And that's the kind of treasure that's worth working towards the secret to contentment is that it's available to everyone it doesn't require comfort not based on our own power or ability to provide for ourselves it's not something that's sustained by the things of this world but it's a life that finds its hope and its satisfaction fully in jesus that's that's what we're invited to when god calls us to himself that's what we sign up for as followers of jesus is that we really can experience the contentment of God, even this side of heaven. The fullness of his joy for us, his rich gifts in our lives. And it's going to be enough to share with other people as well. Listen, this topic, like we could go for another 10 weeks on so many different specialized areas of our life when it comes to contentment. We're not going to do that. We're going to go into another sermon series next week. But that doesn't mean the conversation has to be over and has to change. And I just want to make sure that you know that if you're dealing with issues of contentment in your life, wherever they may be, whether it's your possessions or some other area, that, that's, that's something that you're not supposed to be going alone through. And so not only can you and I sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk about those things, but there are also small groups for you to be a part of. There are ways for you to serve and be connected with people so that you can see a different way of living. The different way of handling your life and it all starts with Jesus we want to we want to introduce you to him we want you to point we want to point um, you to him um, and, and then you'll find then you'll find true life life that is true life let's pray as we prepare for a time of communion God I thank you for this time for us to remove distractions for us to pause and be specifically geared into with our hearts and our souls and our minds geared into you who you are what you're doing to worship you to be fully engaged with who you've called us to be and god we ask that you guide us very clearly very specifically with your holy spirit that you help us to see the things that are keeping us back from experiencing the contentment you desire for god help us to to see the truth of letting go of stuff so that we can see you at work in providing for us in our lives. God, we ask this all in Jesus' name.